0: Welcome to the Blossom Your Awesome Podcast, episode number 25. Today on the show, Doug Cartwright. Doug is the author of Holy Shit, We're Alive. And Doug teaches people how to maximize human potential. His story is about psychedelic journeying, neuroscience, philosophy, and all forms of self-healing. Doug believes that self-love can be our ultimate superpower. He now teaches people how to live with intention, how to trust ourselves, and how to show up every single day for a meaningful life. I am so honored and delighted to have Doug here. Doug, thank you so much. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I am so excited to hear your story. So let's get right into it why don't you give me a little of your background and tell me how you you know came to where you are now with the book and just uh, your philosophy and all of that
1: yeah it's been a really really interesting journey especially the last couple of years so i was actually raised in um, salt lake city utah and i grew up in an upper middle class family um and I kind of didn't realize that I was raised in a bubble, but I was definitely raised in a bubble. Um, Everyone in my community, I mean, not everyone, but for the most part, it was 90% uh, white, uh, upper middle class, conservative, politically leaning conservative uh, Mormons. And that was just the type of, you know, that's what I was raised in. And so that was a community I was raised in. So that's all I really knew. And what's interesting about that community, especially in the Mormon faith um, is you don't realize it until you kind of you grow up later and you, you your, your worldview expands, but all of the tough questions in the Mormon faith are answered for you. And by tough questions, I mean like, okay, what, who were we before we were born? What's the purpose of life and what happens when we die? And it's almost like the roadmap of life is laid out for you and you're told everything you should do and that's not necessarily um just in the mormon faith but in, in a lot of religions it's kind of like you know here's what you do you go, you you participate in your community and in your school and then you go to college and you get a degree and then you find a lady and you get married and you have kids and you get the white picket fence and you know it, the whole map is laid out for you and so um that's all i really knew. And so growing up Mormon was, you know, I actually believe my childhood was really great. Um, I came from a very loving household where I had a very loving and supportive mom and dad and family. And I saw a really beautiful relationship and a safe home. Um, and I went, I was following the, the path that was created for me. I was doing everything that I was supposed to so good um, up until um, my late teens, early twenties. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Mormon faith and anyone listening, but in the Mormon church, we have what's called a mission and that's where we become an elder. So I don't know. Have you seen the, the book of Mormon musical?
0: I have, I have.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I, I, I got my mission call and I was going to go be a missionary and, um, it's really a coming of age ritual, for men specifically in the Mormon faith. And it's like, you know, you're thinking about your whole upbringing and your whole childhood where it's like, okay, as soon as I turn 19, I'm going to get my, you know, God's going to be inspired to call me to serve my mission somewhere else in the world. And I'm going to help, you know, proselyte and baptize people into the Mormon faith. But what goes along with that is that there is a high standard of living standards are supposed to abide by before you go. So what that means is, you know, no sex, no pornography, no drinking, no, nothing with girls and this really like purest living standard you're supposed to go. So I'm 19. I I had a great high school career. I was captain of the football team, student body vice president. Like I said, I'm trying to be this picture perfect kid that my religion wanted me to be. And I was doing such a good job at it. But before I went on my mission, I actually had a girlfriend and got my mission call to Auckland, New Zealand, which was incredible. I was so stoked to go to New Zealand. And so I had my big farewell party. I said goodbye to all my family and friends. I had, you know, I spoke in church. I didn't enroll in college that semester because I was going to you know, go on my mission. I had my flight. I had my ticket, my bags packed. And I went to go say goodbye to my girlfriend, like so it was like this really big emotional moment, you know, you're saying goodbye to who you thought the love of your life was when you're 19 and you know, just leaving high school. And we had an intimate moment and we broke some of the rules of, of chastity is what they call it. And I remember leaving, you know, her house that night and being like, oh, shoot, like. I'm technically unworthy to go on my mission in God's eyes because I broke the rules, but I've already said goodbye to everyone and I've already have my plane ticket and I'm already like supposed to leave tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't like let my community and my church and my family and my friends down now. And so I swept it under the rug and I didn't tell anybody and I, and I went out on my mission and, um, For nine months on my mission in New Zealand, I kept this big secret. And eventually the shame and the guilt uh, really, really wore me down. And anyone who's dealt with a secret of like this magnitude, especially in, in a religious context, you know, we feel the shame and the guilt that God is mad at us. And that weighed on me for nine months to a point where I couldn't hold it anymore. And so I eventually came clean to a mission Leader at the time. And the repercussions of that was that I actually got sent home. So I got kicked off my mission early because, you know, I hadn't repented fully and I was an unworthy to proselyte God's word. And that was the first time in my life where it was like, oh, like I've screwed up. And I almost kind of took on this, I, I don't want to say villain mentality, but it was kind of the first time where I felt like maybe I don't belong here. And I need to, quote unquote, earn my respect back for my community and my church because I've done such a bad thing. And so now, you know, when I was 20 years old, after having this the shame and this big impactful moment of getting sent home early, um, it was like I had I had like this underlying desire of feeling like I had to earn God's love back, earn my community's trust back, earn my family's respect back. and that was really, really heavy on me and really caused me to be, you know, make changes in my life and and go after careers and jobs and relationships that earned me validation. So that was kind of like my childhood. And, and I had that first turning point of feeling that I wasn't enough. And so that was kind of like the first moment where, where things started to change for me.
0: Mm, now, let me ask you this feeling of not, you know, you were validating yourself all along, doing great. You're captain of the team and, you know, and then you have this little slip up here and then it's kind of like you're starting at square one.
1: Yeah. Not even a square one. I'm starting, I'm starting negative.
0: Mm.
1: Like I'm in the, I'm in the hole. So I have to play catch up now.
0: Right. And And, yep. Sorry. Continue.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, and what ended up happening was, you know, I felt a lot of shame just like with the people in my neighborhood and the members of my church and community of like just being in their presence. Because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, they think I'm such a bad kid, right? I'm not worthy to be here, right? I'm not good enough to be here. I'm looked down upon. And so I was really grasping for anything uh, that would almost gain my respect back in my community. And it was really, really heavy on me. And, and coincidentally, not too long after, um, I got recruited to work at the sales job in my 20s when I was at the University of Utah. And it was 100% commission sales, selling uh, services door to door. And I was looking at like these commission structures, and I was blown away of the possibility and the capability of earning potential. And I remember thinking, you know, this is all subconscious thinking, I wasn't thinking this directly, but I was, you know, back in my mind, it's like, oh, if I can make a bunch of money, our society looks highly upon people that are wealthy, right? And so if I can make a bunch of money and be successful in my career, maybe that is what will earn me my way back in. And so I like, I don't know what happened, but like this switch turned on when I was in my early 20s and I became obsessed with everything sales, leadership, recruiting, personal development, and really just stuck my head in the sand for a couple of years of just desiring, you know, this material success. And it worked. And by the time I was 24, I, you know, I'd made a million dollars. And What that million dollars meant for me wasn't, okay, I'm going to become financially independent. It was my way of seeking forgiveness to my community, seeking approval and validation. Because it was like, hey, I know I screwed up, but now please approve of me and I'll do that by being successful in my business career.
0: Mm. Now, did you... Did you get the approval or validation or was there, because I think there's an internal thing going on here, right? Where it's kind of, it seems you're externalizing it or it's coming from the outside. You're wanting this validation from everyone around you, but really it was more of kind of an internal, your own guilty conscience based on the beliefs you were raised with, right? So were you getting the validation or how did that go?
1: yeah i mean i mean you're you nailed it right on the head because the deeper wound right you know one of my favorite quotes and all of my work now in my business stems off of carl Jung's quote you know until you make the subconscious conscious it will guide your life and you'll call it fate which basically to me means until we become aware of our stories that we're telling about ourselves and our lives those are stories are going to guide our whole lives And the underlying story I was telling myself stemmed from when I was actually in second grade as growing up as the fat kid. You know, I grew up overweight and I believed internally that something was wrong with me and I didn't deserve love and success because I was broken. I was, I was, something was wrong with me. And so I felt like I wasn't ever fully seen um, in junior high and high school. I was always in the shadow of everyone else. And then, you know, getting sent home from my mission, you know, that put me in a negative I was playing from behind. And so this validation that I was seeking in my business career really was like trying to overcompensate my fat kid issues, as well as being uh, disregarded in my religious community as well. And so when I made a bunch of money, you know, what do you think I did with it all? I went out and just spent it on crazy things to show people how much money I had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember walking into the Mercedes dealership being 22 years old and buying a $106,000 Mercedes, you know, and it was like, I'm going to show you. How, and I remember the, the coolest part about that car. And it, this is so sad to say, but I remember the coolest part about having that Mercedes that I had was the feeling I got when I was able to like show this salesman at the Mercedes dealership that I was 22 and can buy this thing in cash. That was the coolest part was proving the salesman that I was cool. It wasn't necessarily having this car for, you know, two years. It was like, oh my gosh, look at me. Like I'm this cool kid, young kid and dropping, you know, six figures on a vehicle. And um, I was just screaming and really, you know, that what was happening is I had a wounded child inside of me who's just screaming for somebody to love him. And I fell victim to what I, what the term I coined in my book as the success void. And what the success point is, too, if I were to hand you a resume of my life when I was you know, 25 years old, you would read it and you'd be like, oh, wow, this kid's really successful. He's going to, he's traveling, he's making a lot of money, he has cool cars, he has a cool watch, he's going to sporting events, front row, all over, you know, the World Series and the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl. You'd be like, yeah, this kid's really successful. But there was like this deep, deep void inside my soul of like not being enough and not being lovable. And I really was just like a lost soul for a couple of years there in my mid-20s.
0: Mm, now, Doug, let's talk, let's go deeper with this. Cause I think this is really cool that, you know, so many people kind of struggle to succeed and just go about it the wrong way. And there was something yeah. inside of you that kind of catapulted you to succeed. Like you were lacking that, um, you know, those affirmations. So that really pushed you to succeed. But then having this epiphany around the superficiality of it all, right? Just, they're just things. Mm-hmm. There's still that deeper something was missing there for you. So, how did that come about when you started really saying, okay, I want to go deeper with myself and do things in this other way to get some deeper inner fulfillment?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that was a really interesting idea for me because I remember having a moment that was actually scary for me when I was in my late twenties and, and I didn't have like, I was crazy, like wealthy life-changing money, but I was doing very well. And I had everything that I wanted materialistic wise. And I remember feeling this void and wanting what you were talking about, like this inner fulfillment. And I remember asking a mentor at the time, like, Hey, like, What's the next step for me? And his response was, go make more money. Mm -hmm. And that didn't sit well with me. I'm like, no, like, I don't think that's it. You know, like maybe, maybe if I make, you know, $5 million this year, that'll be the answer. But I'm like, I don't think it is. And so I remember having like this moment where I was kind of like reviewing my life up to this point. I'm like, you know, the money thing didn't really work. The, you know, trying to get in really good shape didn't really work. You know, the religion thing didn't really work. And so I'm like, maybe I need to look with it. And I'm like, I remember having kind of this analysis of who, what type of people seem, from my perspective, seem to be self-fulfilled. And that's when kind of more of the interpersonal came into my mind. And I started looking at meditation and yoga And mindfulness, which at the time for me, I was very much like this toxic sales bro, right? I was like, would never touch any of that. It was too woo woo hippy dippy weird. Like only the weirdos did that stuff. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, you know what? Like, I'm gonna give this a shot. Like I have nothing to lose here. You know, worst case scenario, I dive into this space. It doesn't work, I'm out. But I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna commit to this and see what happens. So I started dabbling in meditation and I started dabbling into yoga. And I dabble into mindfulness and I started a gratitude practice and I started doing breathing exercises. And when my whole life changed was when I started, you know, and, and for the listeners a really, it's a really, really cool, fascinating, interesting, entertaining story of my whole journey into the space. And I explain it all in depth in my book, holy shit, we're alive. But for the sake of the conversation, I started reading studying the therapeutic benefits of working with psychedelic medicines mm. and that was like absolutely astonishing to me like i couldn't believe some of the studies and i remember feeling it in my soul of like oh there's something here like there's something deeply hidden in this and so you know, within a week or two of really diving into this, I had the opportunity to have my first psychedelic experience and I went all in and went for it. And that psychedelic experience was still to this day, the most profound life-changing experience I've ever had. And not in as much as that I did a lot of the healing, but it exposed me to a depth and a layer of my life that I had never even seen and uh really catapulted me to work further in these medicines and then which really furthered me to work with therapy and therapists and psychologists and it led me you know on this two-year journey of healing working with everything you can think of from wim hof to emdr to neurofeedback to float tanks to burning man to crystals to you know uh, silent retreats and meditation and hiring, you know, so I went like, like way, way, way down deep, the rabbit hole. And, you know, my life's really never been the same
0: since. Wow. I, so I really, this is all really resonating for me because I'm all, you know, I'm an energy worker. I'm a Reiki master. I've done a little of the psychedelic therapies. I work with crystals. So it's just like, this is so, I love that. Um, tell me a little bit about your, um, psychedelic therapy, that first experience help for those of us, you know, or people who it's completely foreign to, can you share a little more in depth of what that was like, like what it really did for you spiritually, an awakening epiphany, Mm. what happened?
1: Yeah. So, you know, my first psychedelic experience, I was working with MDMA, um, which is, you know, Molly, it's, it's, it's a retro recreational drug, but use in the right set setting. It really opens up, um, it, you know, it changes your neural networks and your thought patterns and really opens your heart up in a very empathetic way. Um, it's hard to explain if you've never had the experience, but my first experience with MBMA was so profound and it felt like there was so many walls around my heart that have built up over the years. And I wasn't even aware of it. And it was like a piece of dynamite got placed into my heart and exploded these walls off. And I felt so raw and vulnerable and was able to experience emotions of love and empathy and connection that I hadn't felt because I didn't realize how, how close off my heart was. And I was able to look at relationships I had with family members and friends and acquaintances and see from a different perspective, almost you know myself removed from the situation and how i had been in so much pain and you know it really was a classic example of that uh, popular quote around healing of hurt people hurt people
0: mm. and
1: i saw that i had so much pain and trauma from my childhood from being sexually abused to being the fat kid to losing my dad to having really hard romantic breakups and all of these things just piled up a stone cold wall around my heart. And once I can lead from my heart and remove those walls that I could experience a whole nother la- layer of life full of love and empathy and connection. And the psychedelic experience really blew those walls down. And so I could get a taste of what life could be like coming from a place of a healed heart. Mm. And, um, It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And and, and in that moment, I really felt the connection uh, with the creator for the first time. I was, I would never say I would, you know, up until that point, I would have never said I was a spiritual person. But in that experience, I felt the love of, you know, God or the universe or the creator, whatever your word is, and feeling the overwhelming love and connection with that and realizing that it was um, unconditional. I didn't need to earn it. And from that moment, still to that moment, I've never been the same ever since. And, you know, it didn't, that, that experience didn't solve all my problems. What it did though, is it gave me a roadmap of what needed to do, what I needed to do. So I took the next two years of my life going back and healing my traumas and really working with therapists and energy workers and psychologists, you know, and it took, you know, two to three years to really peel back a lot of those layers. And I'm still working on it today. Like you never become fully healed. Um, but you can remove some of these really big, major traumatic experiences that allow you to step into a deeper, more enriching, fulfilling life full of love and connection and empathy. And it really is just such a beautiful experience. And that's, that's my message now is, is trying to share these similar attributes with the world through my book, through my business, through my app. So others can also experience this, this beautiful heart centered place of love and connection.
0: Mm, I love that. That was so beautiful and just mm. so, um, uh, you know, well said and very descriptive. I can literally, I can see like an emoji with like a dynamite <laughs> going off in the middle.
1: Yeah. That's what it felt heart. like. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, that's what it felt like.
0: Wow. And now, so now, you know, that makes me, I'm going to have to call like a psychedelic therapist after <laughs> this. <laughs> Yes <laughs> so question for you. Now one of the things you talk about self-love being a superpower, mm-hmm. superpower How, that
1: to yeah. Us. yeah, I realized along my journey, you know, and it was actually really kickstarted is along my you know my journey of awakening in a sense, um, I met this girl, um, or I reconnected with this girl who was a really important part of my life, and we actually became into romantic connection and uh, we had this beautiful honeymoon phase that was just so beautiful it was very cosmic it was very spiritual and without much warning she actually ended our romantic connection which sparked this deep deep pain this deep loss i've never experienced before and um, i went into a really deep dark cave and it was actually the first time in my life i experienced suicidal thoughts and i ended up digging myself out And a breakthrough moment I realized was that I was actually outsourcing all of my happiness onto her. I kind of put her in charge of my happiness and um, a breakthrough I had with the therapist working through it was that I realized I didn't love myself and I needed her to validate me for me to feel good. And so that really sparked this journey of self-love. And along the way, I realized that self-love is the ultimate superpower because what happens when you truly, truly, truly at your core love yourself, you no longer need external validation. External validation will always feel good. We'll always want it, right? It feels good to have our mom or our dad tell us we're great or our partner tell us they love us. We'll always want that, you know, and that's fine. But if you need external validation for your self-worth, That's going to dictate almost every decision you make, who you connect with, what you do for work, the decisions you make, and that outsources your control to other people. Mm -hmm. So when you learn to love yourself at your core, you no longer need that external validation. And in turn, that gives you the confidence and the permission to be the truest, most authentic, weird version of you. And it will allow you to go after your true dreams, your true desires and pursue what you truly want because you're doing it for no one else, but yourself. And Mm -hmm. in turn, when you act as your most authentic self, you attract others that were that way too. And so it's this really interesting contradiction where it's like, if by not wanting external validation, you actually get more of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: it's this beautiful cycle. And so, you know, if I could share one piece of message to any of the listeners is like, practice self-love because once you truly, truly love yourself, it also gives you another layer of depth to love other people, Mm -hmm. which creates a beautiful, magical, magical life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that Doug. I, you know, this is, I share very similar sometimes, you know, or a lot of times people will ask me, how do I, you know, I'm lacking self-worth or, and it's like, stop looking outside of yourself, just work on yourself every single day and people will be drawn to you. And for mm. one, even if they're not right, you just start feeling great about yourself because you're feeding totally. your soul. you're nurturing yourself every single day, do a little something for yourself. So I love that we're on the same page with that. I'm not trying. That was amazing. Um, guidance and insight. I just love that. It's so, um, you know, powerful and perfect. Now, let me ask you, so I think it's so cool, Doug, we haven't you're like a fairly young guy, you've made <laughs> a lot of money, you've been successful, you've done all of this kind of spiritual stuff. You've, you know, you had your religious kind of awakening of sorts, where you kind of found your own way to a higher power. So that's still a part of you and your life. Mm-hmm. Now, your you know, you talk about, holy shit, we're alive. And I love holy that. Shit. title, Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like, whoa, it's saying like, okay, let's, we're alive. Like, how do yeah. we make the most of this? Right. And part of your thing is mind right. maximizing the human experience. So talk to us, where did that come from for you? And how do we tap into that?
1: Yeah. So the holy shit we're alive came to me when I was in a really intense ayahuasca experience. And ayahuasca is a very intense psychedelic ceremony. And in this ceremony, I felt like I was, you know, this is going to sound weird for readers who have never experienced this this type of work, but um, I felt like I was being reborn and kind of these older versions of myself were being shed. And I was almost like I was, I re-entered my body for the first time after like going through this deep, energetic, spiritual cleansing. And for the brief moment, when I got put back into my body, it was like, I was experiencing it for the first time. And so that included like reworking my bodily functions and moving my body and being able to open and clench my fists. And at the same time, my mind was perfectly calm and quiet. There was no subconscious chatter. The voice inside my head was completely still. And it was the most blissful euphoric experience I could have ever imagined. And I remember feel looking at my body and my my hands and my mind was quiet. I remember thinking like, holy shit, this is what it feels like to be alive. (laughs) This is insane. Like this is like, I can't, I was just so much, such a depth of gratitude for my human experience. And that's what sparked the title of the book. And really, you know, the deeper message here is like being alive is an incredible gift. You know, we're all going to die. Every one of us is going to die. It's just a matter of when. And we have this moment between our birth and our death to have this beautiful experience. And the reason we're unhappy is because life isn't unfolding the way we think it's supposed to. Pretty simple. The reason we're, frustrated. The reason we're unhappy is because life, we think life should be happening differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so we fight and we struggle and try and get it to be our way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's where a lot of our pain and suffering comes from. And when we take kind of this bigger cosmic perspective, which I really try and get across in chapter one of my book that like we are a, a, on a speck of dust in a grand cosmic arena and life has no obligation to unfold any way we want. And once we learn to surrender to the flow of life and let go of our expectations, right, we can tap into this beautiful flow and have this magnificent magnificent experience of love and beauty and connection um, and tap into this, this beautiful experience of life. And so that's the message I'm trying to share with, with the readers in the world in my book.
0: Mm, now, you know, I feel like there's a part of um, this where, you know, like you say, life is people get upset or frustrated or give up or, um, or misguided because they want things to unfold a certain way because so many people believe that life is happening to us right. versus right where you have this belief of, yeah, tap into all of the magic and beauty and a, and go with the flow. But also there's an aspect of you that's kind of directing that flow in some way, right?
1: Totally, right? And, uh, you know, life really switches when you realize life is happening for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. And in every situation that doesn't go our way, you know, can we take a moment and pause and say, what is this teaching me? As difficult as that may be, and being personal in the story, like just to explain, you know, it was a growth moment for me as recently I was uh, dating this girl here in LA and it was going really, really well. And I was really excited about it. And I was like, wow, I haven't met someone like this in a couple of years. And on Friday night, um, she ended our romantic connection. And it was devastating for me. And in the past, I would have really struggled with it and suffered with it and really, you know, had remorse and despise and frustration. But I remember, I'm like, hey, I need to take advice from my own book here and ask, you know, okay, What is okay, ha- why is this happening for me? And I took a moment and, and I took a deep breath and realized, okay, what is this teaching me? And when I was able to bring this curious mindset to it, I understood and realized there was a deeper lesson that this girl was teaching me and it unsurfaced maybe some unhealed experiences from past relationships. And now I've been able to really work with those and, and bring those to my therapist. And I've realized like, oh, once I kind of move through this, I'm going to be actually leveled up. And what's interesting now is it's only been, you know, 72 hours since this this conversation happened. In this moment, I have so much gratitude for her
0: Mm. and so much
1: love for her. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're teaching me such an incredible, beautiful lesson that's really going to improve the quality of my life. And my next relationship and my next connection is going to be deeper and more richer and more meaningful because of what you've taught me.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. And And I I think I'll just add, Doug, I think she had to get out of the way because there might be something better, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I like to to think so. And I hope so, you know. Right. And um, But in the past, it was something I probably would have had a lot of resentment for and frustration and sadness that I would have dwelled on. I've been like, she's wrong and, you know, and and had resentment towards her. But now, now that I can move past it and embrace this, oh, what is this teaching me? How is this happening for me? You know, not only have I moved through those negative emotions a lot quicker, I now have a deeper sense of gratitude for her and appreciation for her. And I'm looking forward to the next connection because I'll be able to look at it from a deeper lens than I would have before.
0: Mm, wow. That is really, um, that is awesome, Doug. Now, I mean, that just speaks volumes to your evolution and soul growth.
1: Mm, thank you. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, now tell me the daily shifts, help us understand. Daily shifts. Yep. The daily, daily shifts,
1: shifts is, is a mindfulness app for busy people. And so what I realized was having lived in this type a world of sales and go and grind and, grit and grind. Um, I learned a lot of really valuable skills and techniques there. And then I went you know down this woo woo world of mindfulness and Reiki and healing and energy, which is all great. And I'm like, okay, how can I combine the two worlds, right? How can I continue to be effective and efficient and show up as my best self and work and be productive and reach my goals while also bringing in these mindfulness techniques? And so the daily shifts is, you know, like I said, an app for mindfulness for busy people where it's just a couple of minutes per day, the daily shift to get you back and centered, right? Coming from a place of integrity and mindfulness and centeredness so you can show up. And produce your best self so the app will take you through very simple breathing practices very quick you know five minutes and less meditations gratitude practice health and wellness tips and tricks um and so it's just something you can do very very simply every day to keep you coming from a place of centeredness and so i'm really excited with where the daily shift is at and as we're able to grow our user base every single day and people are getting a lot of value out of it because it allows you to kind of get this mindfulness idea and foundation while still being able to be effective and efficient in your work.
0: I love that. Now, um, tell us, Doug, maximizing, getting back to this really quick, maximizing human experience, what practical tips can you give people to lean into that?
1: Yeah. So like I was saying, you know, we have this time between our birth and our death and maximizing our human experience means there's only one you like there's only one Sue, there's only one Doug, right? What unique skills and gifts do I have that no one else has? And so the idea I want to share with everyone is, can you embrace a sense of curiosity in your life? What are you curious about? What are you wanting to learn? What are you wanting to do? Whether you want to learn how to ski or garden or cook, or do you want to get into, you know, science, astrophysics, biology, right? It's like, you know, imagine the idea, I think, is imagine that your whole experience as you on Earth is like a quick Disneyland trip. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're only going to be at Disneyland for one day, what do you do? You're going to go on all the rides and get the corn dog and get the, you know, the pineapple dole whip, you know, ice cream. And it's like, OK, you're only here on Earth for a little bit. What are you going to do? Go see the beaches and the mountain ranges and the animals and travel and eat good food and listen to good music and learn and experience and and really embody a sense of curiosity. And when you lead your life with a sense of curiosity, it opens up new doors and new talents and new opportunities for you to learn and grow and become a better version of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. That was awesome. That was really um so awesome. Now, Doug, in closing, even though I just kind of I'm being redundant here, um, in closing, I'm gonna have you just what is your message? You want it. People to have, or you know, what's that the wisdom and insight that you've learned that you would like to share and leave us with?
1: Yeah, I think kind of going back to the self love as a superpower, right? It's like we have these stories, consciously and subconscious stories that are guiding our life. And once we can go back and heal some of these traumatic experiences, and you know, one thing about trauma is you know, when you hear the word trauma, you think of like a severe, intense experience from a really difficult injury car crash or a really intense sexual abuse rape story. But trauma is anything that causes us pain. It could be a very simple, small thing. And we all have trauma. And once we can go back and heal our trauma experiences, it removes blockages within us to allow the positive and and, and energy to move through us so we can express our true selves. And so the message I want to share with people is that you can go back and heal your traumas and once you do and learn to love ourselves it gives you the permission to be the truest most authentic version of you and really changes the whole energetic experience of your life to one of learning and growth and development and excitement and love and joy and you know wrapping it all up the title of my book it's you can embrace and have a mentality when you wake up every morning of like wow, holy shit, I'm alive. And I get to go have an incredible human experience today. And that's, you know, that's the idea and the mentality I would hope that everyone would get from reading my book.
0: Mm, I love that. Oh my God, Doug, you are so awesome. I am so inspired.
1: You're you- awesome.
0: <laughs> this was awesome. You were amazing. Thank you so much, Doug.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I also note that I respond to all of my DMs on Instagram. So if you have a question or whatnot, hit me up on Instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. And you can actually find my book on Amazon at holy shit, we're alive.
0: Okay, perfect. And I'm going to have links to all of that. I'll have links to your book, to your Instagram, and I will have links to your app as well. And again, Doug, you have been awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Sue.
0: Thank you.